0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is sponsored this week by NCW, a local independent risk management agency. I have a number of friends who work at NCW, but here's one of the things that impresses me most. This company has been in business in Amarillo for 95 years. That makes it one of the oldest continuously operating businesses in the city. NCW provides a full range of risk management strategies and solutions, including business insurance, group benefits, and personal lines. To learn more, visit ncwriskmanagement.com or call 806-376-6301. Today's guest is Gus Trujillo. If you recognize his name, it's probably because you pay close attention to politics. Gus ran for Congress in 2020, last year, for the seat vacated by longtime U.S. Representative Mac Thornberry. In fact, Gus used to intern for Mac Thornberry in Washington, D.C. Gus won the local Democratic primary, but he lost to Ronnie Jackson in the November election. With that campaign now behind him, we sat down to talk about running for office, his work with the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, his childhood growing up in the barrio in Amarillo, and why Gus is now making plans to move to Austin. Here's Gus Trujillo. Gus Trujillo, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've I've wanted to have you on the show uh, for, well, at least since November, last (laughs) November. So I'm honored to talk to you in this format. And I want to start with you the same way I start with all of my guests and just ask how you ended up in this area in the first place.
1: Well, I was uh, born and raised right here in Amarillo. I actually lived in the uh, Barrio neighborhood Okay. my uh, mom, she actually still has, uh, our uh, old grandfather and grandmother's house there. And so, um, what street, is that? uh, it's Arthur street. Okay. So it's like the so that's, beginning of the body yeah, right of, you there. Know, like uh, Fiesta foods is right there in the corner. And then I think from Arthur street, it pretty much built up all the way to Ross. Uh, I mean, there's like an unofficial, uh, or official line of, um, it's like, uh, the, the railroad to Ross street. So that's West to East and the North is, uh, like 2nd Street down to 29th. So it's a little barrio neighborhood. And I
0: love hearing that um, your mom grew up in like the family's house. Yeah. I'm working on an article for Brick and Elm about the barrio. Oh, okay. And one of the things I keep hearing is that the homes have been passed down Mm -hmm. from generation to generation, but stay in the same family. And people be like, yeah, that's the Garcia's house. You know, it's been that house, (laughs) you know, for since the 1920s or something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of history there and— uh, you know, our house is is uh, pretty old, and we just lucked out because my grandfather started working on the Santa Fe Railroad. Okay. And he was one of the people where um, – the way I understand it is my mom said that he had a uh, – they had a lottery system where the – I guess the most senior people got the properties along uh, Arthur. And then from there, they just started filling it in. So it was kind of like a, a random lottery <laughs> the way they assigned those properties. Sometimes. And a
0: lot of the first – Hispanic residents of Amarillo were yeah. railroad workers oh, because yeah, Mexico had been building railroads long before they sort of came across the Western United States, as oh, yeah. I understand. Yeah, uh, so it, it's so so central to Amarillo's history.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a and that was a huge part of our family. I know that uh, back when my grandfather uh, worked there, it was Santa Fe, and now of course it's known as Burlington Northern. And I think my mom said that when he really first started working there, it was like the Atchison Topeka right, right. line or something like that. So. Uh, but he was there for uh, nearly 50 years. He uh, retired um, and uh, he he didn't really get to enjoy his retirement too much just because he, um, I mean, he worked hard until he was a old man and then he ended up uh, dying. Unfortunately, I think about a year after he retired. Oh, so wow. It was uh, unfortunate. But even, I mean, I'm standing here today because of the work he's done and my grandmother's done and. My grandmother, she worked hard too. She actually worked for uh Bob Lee, uh, Bobby uh, Lee's at father, the Big Texan. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She was there. Uh, she worked there at the hotel, and then she was their housemaid uh, for uh, Bob Lee and his wife. So, you know, I didn't know that till I was a, a teenager. My mom started telling us that, and I was like, "Wow, we didn't know we had that history with the Big Texan." And yeah. One time, I, uh, you know, we work at the um, when I worked at the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I know I no longer work there. But uh, I uh, talked to Bobby Lee when we were doing the Cinco de Mafajita Festival, and he still remembered meeting my grandmother when he was a a child. She Hmm. she was like the first lupa he ever met. So he said, yeah, I still remember meeting her. It's it's crazy. Like, Big Texan's been here forever, and I didn't realize that we have that little bit of a connection.
0: Hmm. So So you grew up in the Barrio neighborhood? Yeah. Went to school like Bowie and Caprock?
1: I went to uh, Sanborn was elementary school first, and then uh, Bowie was next, and then uh, uh, Caprock. And I know that they've rearranged things. I guess Bowie is doing a sixth grade now or something. Yeah. So it's a little different, but yeah, I went to all three of those schools.
0: Once you approached your graduation at Caprock, were you one of those kids who had an idea to get out of here uh, (laughs) or or did you want to stick around? What was the plan?
1: I think I wanted to stick around um, because back then I don't, I don't really think I want to venture too far. I I thought I'm comfortable here. And so I think I applied to like uh, UT Tech and then uh, WT was another one. But uh, I ultimately decided to go to Emerald College. And a huge reason for that was because my mom went to Emerald College. And um, you know, not only is it, it's pretty affordable, but it's a great school. And, you know, now the work that uh, they've done over there to really get national recognition is really impressive and makes you proud to, you know, have gone there. And so I started there uh, first and then I went to WT and I've graduated WT in like 2013. So it's been a while. Okay. Yeah.
0: What was the career plan at that point?
1: Uh, it was all law school. Really? <laughs> and I think uh, the major reason for that was that, uh, you know, my mom and my dad, they were married um, uh, for a while and she was his paralegal. So he was an attorney in Amarillo, but he didn't start off that way. He actually came here Gosh, I think it was in the uh, the 60s and he started a uh, Mexican restaurant cuz my grandfather and grandmother on uh, my dad's side, they uh have a uh, a little Mexican restaurant over there called El uh, El Charro Mexican Foods. Oh yeah. And Off uh, of I-40,
0: right?
1: Uh well, that's it's funny cuz in New Mexico there's a bunch of El Charros now. But okay. uh, theirs was started in like 1949 or something, but it's in Roswell. Oh, in Roswell, Roswell New okay. Mexico. Yeah. And so when he came here, he thought he was going to get into the restaurant business, but then he got into law. And I believe he was he was either the first or second Hispanic lawyer in Amarillo. And so he got a a ton of clients because he was the only one that was speaking Spanish and everything. (laughs) So it was pretty interesting. And uh, he was always telling us that, you know, we should be lawyers or going to business or something. And uh, I think the same thing with my mom. She was she understood how important it was. But I think as time went on, I was uh, especially while I was in college, I thought, you know, I kind of I like business more. I, I really like it a lot. And uh, even after college, I worked in the startup world for a little bit in Washington, D.C. And so it was it was a great experience. And that's what I plan to do now, you know, as I I moved from here, you know?
0: Yeah. So we'll get to that, uh, I guess, in a minute. So tell me about Washington, D.C. When were you there?
1: So I the way I ended up there was uh, I had an internship with uh, WT. They have a D.C. internship uh, program where you apply and uh, it's pretty competitive. But uh, that year, I remember me and my best friend. uh, Her name was one of my best friends was uh, named Brandy, and uh, she was a student body president at the time. We all had to compete for the spot, and uh, when I got the call that uh, I was going to intern for Congressman Thornberry, who of course has been, he's retired now, but right. uh, he was up there for uh, you know nearly 20, about 26 years, and so um, it was a really uh, prestigious spot, and so when I got the call, I called my friend and said, you know, I'm sorry that <laughs> I got it, and you weren't able to get it, and it turns out she got it, so we both got to go, and it was one of the first times that they sent two WT students hmm. up to D.C., and so it was a blessing because when we went up there, it is just a dog eat dog world. <laughs> you know, politics is pretty, pretty rough. And uh, it starts with the interns, too. I mean, if other interns can throw you under the bus so that they can appear, <laughs> appear better yeah. or get, you know, hired later or something, they'll do it. But wow. luckily, me and Brandy didn't have that issue. We were, we'd been friends for years. And so um, uh, we got along really well. And we had some friends that were there working at other. Organizations and, and uh, jobs, and so it worked out really well. But uh, I ended up there. Uh, that was in January 2013 uh, for an internship with uh, Congressman Thornberry. How long did that last? That lasted until May. Uh, okay, I had to graduate uh, that May in uh, 2013, and so I came back, and then I uh, stayed here for the summer for a little bit, and then I thought, you know, I really want to go back to DC, and uh, you know, it's it's a great city. Uh, you know, my, minus the, all the drama and politics, right. but uh, other than that, there's all kinds of cool stuff there. I, I think one of the coolest things I liked was that anytime they were testing new apps or new services, uh, it was San Francisco was one and uh, a city they would start in, and then DC was another one. Hmm. I thought it's pretty cool you could try all these things, but it's just a really uh, a booming city. And so I thought I'm going to go back and uh, see what I can find. And you know, I took a risk. I went over there with with no job and. Uh, I think I stumbled upon um, it was like the first job I had out of college. It was called a Task Rabbit, and uh, oh, yeah. it is like a, a gig. You know, today I think everybody knows what a gig economy type thing is, and back then nobody knew what that was. And right, but it's like DoorDash, Uber, and all that stuff. And but the so, kind of thing
0: where you would hire somebody to build your IKEA shelves yeah. or do something like that. right? I, I
1: built a lot of IKEA <laughs> <laughs> shelves. I got tired of it after a while, but uh, when I first started, I think it was I was getting like uh, ten or twelve bucks an hour. But when I ended because I was doing it. It was pretty good money later. I was uh, charging like 25 bucks an hour. Hmm. And uh, what it was, I was building up a clientele where I was really good at it and uh, people were just hiring me. And so I did that on the side. Um, but the way I found my, uh, I guess you can say a permanent type job for about two and a half years was uh, through TaskRabbit, a startup company in uh, DC. I can't remember the incubator uh, incubator they were in, but they, um, they were called BloomPop. I think that they got bought out by somebody. I'm not sure where that company is now. But I worked there for about two and a half years. And it was basically a website where we were trying to save uh, local artisan florists uh, from going bankrupt to getting, uh, you know, helping them get more customers and uh, transferring it all online. So it was actually a pretty cool business model. It's a lot different from the big box, you know, like 1-800-Flowers or something like that. It's, It's more like artisan unique pieces and everything. And so I just worked on the website. I never had to. Well, I would say I never had to do deliveries. But on valentine's day in 2014 no 2015 we were all out hands on deck <laughs> really getting them delivered and i didn't have a car so i was with another co-worker and because uh, in dc i didn't take my car yeah it, just yeah. to park your car it's like 500 dollars a month it's, it's pretty it's ridiculous. easy to get around without it <laughs> oh yeah metro yeah. system's really great and and stuff but So yeah. I,
0: I know you eventually ended up back mm. here though um so tell me tell me how that happened
1: Uh, So when I I stayed in D.C. for a while and uh, I decided to move back, a a big reason was uh, was cost. But also I think I was a little homesick. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I still had friends here and I was you know thinking I'll come back and and see them. And the thing is, when they start graduating, everybody starts spreading out. And, you know, that's I think that's really what happens. And so a majority of my friends are in Austin. And so it's probably not a surprise that I'm looking Mm -hmm. (laughs) to move over there. But um, I think that uh, the major reason was to just come back and be with family. And then I thought, you know, I'll find something. I know that uh, the internship was a great thing to have, not only on the resume, but just the experience itself. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, a Democrat. I've been a Democrat for, gosh, a long time. And when I went to work for uh, Congressman Thornberry's office, they didn't treat me any differently. Hmm. You know, we had Southern hospitality, which was a huge thing up there and um, uh, that I, I really liked because the city, you know, in big cities, people have things to do and places to go, they kind of ignore everything else. So it's kind of rude. <laughs> but uh, we had a really great uh, uh, Southern hospitality in the office. And so after having that experience, after being in the gig economy for a little bit, I came back. And I actually, when I worked for the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, I stumbled upon that job. I think it was my sister had seen it uh, somewhere online. And I thought, you know, I'll try it out and uh, apply for it. And, and sure enough, I got it. And uh, uh, it was funny because I remember Raymond, who was the chair at the time, Raymond Gaetan, He he told me a little later on, he said, you know, we were wary of hiring you because you had such a great resume, you know, with Thornberry's uh, mm-hmm. uh, office and everything. He thought I was coming in to take the executive director position. And <laughs> I, I assured him that I was like, no, I just, you know, I, I thought it was a cool opportunity and to uh, work for this organization. And so I think they were a little intimidated when I first applied because it was, I guess you can say it was an impressive resume.
0: <laughs> Tell me about that work. Once you, you got back here, you got more involved, you know, in... Not just the Chamber of Commerce culture, but among Hispanic businesses, particularly. Mm-hmm. You know, having been in politics, having spent a few years outside Amarillo, and then coming back, like, you know, what what kind of perspective did you gain during that those years?
1: In DC, I uh, I learned quite a bit, even especially about myself. Uh, you know, I, I was uh, I was working uh, the evenings in one of my second jobs, it's funny, everybody has like two jobs over there. And then uh, during the day working at the startup, and uh, there were some times where I was just, you know, bored in my apartment, I didn't have cable for a while. And uh, I think that was even a good thing, because I was reading everything. I remember I, I was reading all kinds of things. I was watching tons of TED talks, because, you know, I didn't have cable. (laughs) And so I was learning a lot about uh, different things. And then when I um, uh, came back here to Amarillo, I realized that I, you know, I I think I was smarter than when I left, (laughs) just because I absorbed so much information. And um, up there, it was very different because, uh, being a, 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 Hispanic, uh, with my family from Mexico up in DC, that's kind of rare actually. Hmm. And, uh, there's more people from South America, um, that are up there. And so I didn't see many, uh, people that were from Mexico. And, uh, as a matter of fact, it was, it was interesting because I remember when I was, um, an intern and I was really all dressed up and everything, I think that it kind of threw people off because the ones that were my color of skin, they were working on yards. Okay, <laughs> you know they were uh, doing uh, yard work and they weren't going to the Capitol. And so um, it was interesting to see that. I mean, it was diverse up there, but it was uh, not many uh, Mexican descendants. I guess you can say it was mostly South Americans. But when I, uh, I I came back and started working for the Hispanic Chamber, you know, our primary goal was to help businesses grow and network and expand, especially with the uh, Latino community and so that that was like my favorite work you know I, I told the all the people when I was um leaving the Hispanic chamber I say you know I this was my favorite job and that's you know it's a lot to say because I worked at the Capitol in DC right and, and you know I enjoyed that but nothing like here where I feel like Amarillo just has this uh you know cohesion where everybody likes to connect and uh you know do business with each other or just support local business was a big one and uh I know that that changed my whole perspective too. Uh, Working with the chamber is uh, supporting local businesses, and so um, I think that just my knowledge of of working with the uh, congressman's office, I was really uh, able to fine tune my my work ethic and um, just be helpful. I mean, I've always been a helpful person, and and I want to be a part of a service and, mm-hmm. and just serving in some kind of office which eventually laid me led me later on to run for Congressman Thornberry's office. I
0: yeah, guess, and so I I think refer- obviously if if any listeners know you by name, uh, <laughs> it's probably because of yeah. that campaign. Yeah. Um and I you know I, I have a policy uh, sort of unofficial with the podcast. I don't like to interview anybody actually during a campaign because I don't <laughs> I don't want to, you know, be any sort of political arm. Yeah. But I have always loved the idea of talking to somebody after a campaign is over and kind of seeing it, even if it was unsuccessful, seeing what did you learn in the process? Mm-hmm. Why did you do it? What did it mean to you personally? And and I'd love to hear some of that uh, yeah. as as you think about running for, you know, a position that you used to be an intern yeah. for <laughs> uh for Congressman Thornberry. Uh and then running, you know, as a Democrat in a district like ours that mm-hmm. obviously skews heavily Republican. When you got into it, when you decided to run, did you feel like you had an uphill battle? I mean, did it did it feel like this was something that you could potentially win, or did it feel like, I'm just going to do it and, and see what happens?
1: I think it was, it was a little bit of both. both. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think that the, the biggest thing I thought about was, will I regret not doing it? And, mm. uh, you know, Thornberry, uh, Congressman Thornberry had been in there For 26 years, was retiring, and I thought, you know, this might be one of the best chances to to get into uh, uh, that office because uh, when somebody steps out, it's like uh, open game. And we saw that with uh, the Republican primary, where I, gosh, I think there was like 15 candidates or 20 or something, and uh, and a lot of them were out from out of town too. And so it was interesting to see who was coming here to run for. And I thought, you know, I I was uh, Representative Thornberry's intern for a little while, and I remember expressing my desire to possibly run for office in that office when I was in DC and it was so funny because the staff it, the staff were not interested in running for office at all they just liked doing the support okay. uh, uh, stuff in the background and they said why would you want to run for office it's <laughs> yeah, i guess they they were uh, saying that it was a big public thing that everything you are are doing in life is going to be watched and i found that out i mean with with running for office i know that i had to i mean it comes down to even just the way you dress and stuff mm-hmm. when you go out anywhere it's like uh, uh, people are always watching So I I think that uh, it was primarily uh, something that I thought, if I don't do it, I know I will regret regret, uh, not doing it later. We're not doing it now and then later on never doing it. And so uh, I wanted to try it out. And I thought, you know, I've I've lived in the barrio neighborhood for all my life. And then I've I've ventured out to all these small towns every so often. And um, uh, now when I ran for office, I got to meet all kinds of people. And, you know, it was a great experience to just be out there and, and meeting people. That was my favorite part about it. I mean... Running for office is very difficult. It was, in fact, the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. Uh, and then to have a pandemic in the middle of it, that yeah. just made it, in, I mean, it was just crazy, crazy hard. But I think that the thing that kept me going was really meeting people and then them discussing their issues of, you know, with their government or issues with, it can be with Social Security or the VA or whatever it is. And, and I tried to really keep informed on all kinds of things, especially when I was in D.C. I was always reading everything and um, keeping up with the news because I just was interested in it Um, because i know a lot of people are not interested in politics but uh, i was because i think that it came from my grandmother on my dad's side she was very involved in uh, roswell new mexico her and my my grandfather and uh uh, her name was ida and his name was antonio and they were very well known in the city because uh they were always involved with anything and i my mom told me one day she says yeah i think that's where you got it from because your grandmother was very heavily involved and so uh, I think it was just a desire to try and go to the Capitol in D.C. and represent uh, all kinds of people because, you know, as a Democrat, I think today everybody thinks that we stay to our sides and, you know, the left will stay to the left, the right will stay to the right. But I was trying to be a centrist Democrat because mm-hmm. I've always been like that my whole life. Well, you're life. a
0: Democrat who interned yeah. for a Republican congressman. I exactly. Mean, that, that's, exactly. That's part of your resume, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I wish that would have. Uh, translated better when i went back to dc because the thing i forgot to mention was i i intended on working for a democratic congressman the next go around in dc but what i quickly found out was that when they see that you worked in a republican office they were you know they were being biased and they didn't want you in their office huh, okay so i mean they'll be you know uh, nice and have an interview or whatever but uh i, I can just tell that's it wasn't going to work out so that's why i was like i'm going to try something else and do the startup thing but uh, but yeah it was it was a fantastic experience, and it was it was very rough, especially with Covid. So if I didn't have that part, it'd be a lot better. but uh, either way, I still enjoyed it.
0: One of the things I have heard a lot from residents of the barrio and talking to them is the importance of representation politically, yeah, yeah. um not just at the national level, even at the civic level, um you know, because of the way that. City commissioners are elected here in Amarillo with an at-large system. That there's not always, you know, someone who could represent the mm-hmm. barrio community or the Hispanic community, you know, having a seat at that table. Yeah. Uh, and and so I wonder what your candidacy, even though it wasn't successful, what your candidacy maybe meant to, you know, the Hispanic businesses that you had been working with, or to you know your your parents and grandparents' generation, those those residents of the barrio who have been looking for that for so long
1: yeah, it was definitely a big deal. I remember uh, uh, going out and campaigning, and I was constantly told about that, where, um you know, one of the things I did actually during my campaign was I was always bringing up how my grandmother and my grandfather came from Mexico. And uh, you know, even though my my grandfather was uh, born here, they had to go back to Mexico during the depression and then they came back, and uh, he eventually met my grandmother. And uh, they worked tremendously hard to get the family where we are today. And so I would always, reiterate how uh, much of an early sacrifice they did for our family and I think that uh, that was a big thing for uh, local Hispanics because they thought man you know you're a a younger in a younger generation that it seems like they're forgetting where they came from but you know here you come and you say this is where I came from my grandparents did this and this and so I was always proud of that history and that's why you know I I love the barrio neighborhood and and, you know I was part of the barrio neighborhood planning committee and uh, because I really want to improve it and help it and so I think that that was also another uh, major reason why I got many Hispanic votes. Not not all of them are going to be for me, because there's there's conservative Hispanics right. out there that will uh, still vote Republican. But I think that it was probably like, a I guess, a breath of fresh air that they saw somebody running for a federal office that was uh, had a Hispanic last name. And so I, I think it meant a lot to a lot of people, and I was constantly told that when I was on the campaign trail.
0: One of the questions I always have is, You know, when you are running to represent a place, you're having conversations with all kinds of constituents Mm -hmm. about all kinds of issues, um, which I I would presume you didn't, you weren't an expert on all those things, you know, before (laughs) the campaign started. Nobody is. Nobody is.
1: Um,
0: What did you learn about this area as a result of running for office? I mean, what were the things that maybe changed your perspective or, or became clearer to you?
1: I think that, uh, you know, I always would talk to people about the number one issue. They'd always ask me, what was the number one issue? And I was really shocked to see that was healthcare was a big deal. Hmm. And um, it was because, you know, we have a lot of rural areas that uh, they were relying on clinics and hospitals. And those were just uh, they just disappeared as as time went on. And so that was their biggest issue. But as I met people in the uh, small towns and, and Wichita Falls is another one that's in the district. So it's Amarillo, Wichita Falls and all these small towns. The, the great thing about it was they were very open and uh, uh, very uh, nice and everything. Every so often you have protesters that are going to give you a hard time or some hagglers and everything. But um, other than that, I, I really liked how this area had, we had a lot of great people and I really wanted to help them uh, grow their small towns. I mean, because it was depressing to drive up to these small towns and you see all these old buildings that once they used to be something great and then they're gone and and i don't know if uh, i think a big reason was because younger people were leaving the small towns going to the big cities and and it's not just going to amarillo or wichita falls it's just spreading around everywhere and uh it's it was uh, depressing to see how the small towns were just not getting help and so that's why i was like really trying to connect with the uh, local small town people and uh seeing what their issues were and besides healthcare, it was like you know we'd like to see our town back to where it was uh back in the past once again and so uh, i think that i just really the main thing i learned was that we have a lot of great people that live in this district and i like i said a while ago it's i really enjoyed running for office because of them and if it wasn't for that i mean i don't know if i would have you know lasted as long because it's like you said uh, you're going in there and it's it's either a uh, an uphill battle or um you know maybe you think you have a chance and some it, it's crazy how a campaign works because your emotions are up and down all the time yeah because sometimes i thought oh i can really win this and then it dips down oh i can't really do this and then it's like what am i doing and and uh but the nice thing about that is i know it made me stronger at the end and you know i, I tell people i won't ever roll out running for something in the future again uh even up here um because uh, even when I move, I, d- I doubt that I'll run for anything else in another in another city. Because this area is special to me, and that I, I grew up here and uh, my whole life. And I still think about my grandparents, how they worked hard to get here, and so I don't see myself running for politics anywhere else except here in this area.
0: Is it hard to separate the political campaign from you as a person? Because I mean, <laughs> people are voting for you. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe for your ideas, maybe for whether there's a D or an R next to your name, but really Mm -hmm. it's a vote for you. And I I wonder like psychologically um, how difficult that is being in conversations, having hecklers, you know, (laughs) things, things like that was, was that something you expected or was that something that, uh, that was kind of difficult going into it?
1: I think that, you know, when I first went into it, I was, gosh, I remember before even applying, um, I was already thinking, I think this is, in my opinion, a bad way to think about it. I was thinking, okay, how can I change my views to to fit other people's perspectives or whatever? And I was starting to dab into that a little bit. And then as time went on, I thought, no, I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm going to stay true to my principles. And, uh, you know, even though I'm a Democrat running in a very heavily Republican area, I still want to stick to what I believe is right and um, the way we can work together. And so that's, you know, running as a centrist Democrat, it was very difficult. And that even when you try and listen to uh, people on the other side they still will think i think it's they think about national politics and i wish it wasn't like that uh, locally because i think that national politics it does affect us to some point but the the bigger thing that affects us is uh, state politics is a big <laughs> one local elections are a big one and um so i really wish that they would have gotten past what was happening at the national level especially with the president the, the presidential race everybody was watching that and I, th- I feel like they were watching that and thinking, OK, I'm going to vote this way because of that president. But yeah. they really should have thought, OK, what is going to be the long term effect of voting that way here? Because the Republicans are unfortunately no longer in the majority. So we've lost some power. And um, I think that um, uh, that was just a interesting experience. And trying to separate it psychologically was sometimes it was a challenge. Um, There's but, a lot
0: of demonization yeah. nationally, you know, to where—and maybe this is a result of of media or just the division in our country or the polarity. But, like, if you're a Republican, sometimes you think that Democrats are just bad people. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah. a Democrat, you think Republicans are just bad people. Yeah. And, and that's kind of how it works. And, you know, obviously— you know, to a lot of residents, you're Gus, you know, the, the guy who grew up in the barrio and works for the Hispanic Chamber. Yeah. Um, but once you start running for office, then you become D- Gus, the Democrat, who yeah. obviously is on the wrong side. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I wonder, like, if that was something that you found. Yeah, I, I
1: definitely, definitely did. I, I know that... Um with uh, the Biden campaign and the Trump campaign really going at each other. I mean, I was the number one questions that were always asked was about national issues, which is right to ask about that. But I, I feel like, like you said, they kind of uh, want to tag along something else that was not a part of me. I mean, I don't I don't know President Biden or anything, and I'm, I'm not going to agree with everything he does, because uh, there were some things that I agreed with with uh, Trump. But I would have to admit it's very little, uh, but yet there was hope there in that uh, i still agreed on some republican policies uh, but i also agreed with some democrat policies but i got some crud from both sides for yeah. doing that yeah. so and i was and that's something that was very tough in itself too is just running trying to please both sides that's, that's nearly impossible and so that's why i stuck to my own principles of you know what my issues were what my beliefs were, but still keeping in mind to listen to the other side, because I feel like that's the only way the country will move forward. It was, if we have compromise, that's how we were built. This country was built. So that's that's the only way forward I can see.
0: You mentioned Wichita Falls, mm-hmm. um, which is part of what makes this district just really weird. Uh, <laughs> I imagine there are a lot of voters in Amarillo that maybe don't even realize that Wichita Falls is part of the same congressional mm-hmm. district. Um you know, to have a, a major city, you know, that's three and a half, four hours away, mm-hmm. be included in the same region, and and we saw a lot of, you know, a, a lot of drama in the Republican primary because of people moving into that area, people in that area trying yeah. to represent Amarillo, people in Amar- Amarillo trying to represent that city. Um, d- d- do you come away from the campaign with with any opinions about? A broad, spread out district like ours and how difficult it is to try <laughs> to represent Amarillo and Wichita Falls and all the smaller cities between them yeah. at the same time.
1: Yeah, I was I, I did think about that because I, I thought that, you know, this is you're trying to represent both a rural and, rural and urban area. And it's, it's a challenge because, like you said, there's two major cities in this area. And uh, you know we have different cultures, different perspectives, and I think down there it's a little bit, a little bit more liberal, whereas up here it's a lot more conservative. And then the small towns is sometimes I'd find it's a mix, but a majority it was a conservative. So it was definitely a challenge. I, of course, this is number- more of
0: a military town too, which yeah, adds another it element that's that's oh, different.
1: Yeah. Definitely. It definitely is. And, uh, uh, you know, of course, we used to have an an airbase here. And I always wonder if if we would have been more similar if that airbase was still around, because that's definitely one of the uh, factors that's true in Wichita Falls. But uh, yeah, it was it was definitely a challenge trying to not only just travel, I think that that was another thing is that I had to travel quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I put a lot of miles on my car. And, and I was always thinking, man, I'm just, you know, so jealous of somebody in New York. They probably just have to walk a couple of blocks and then that's right, it. Right. But with me, I had to, you know, plan a whole day of traveling to do debates or media interviews or whatever. But, uh, yeah, it was definitely a, a challenge because you're hearing all these different perspectives of people in small towns, people in the major cities, military people. like And, and I feel like it was our, our area really uh, kind of embodies what America is because we have – rural areas big cities and different kinds of people and and even here in the panhandle we are a diverse area just because you know i think that uh down in wichita falls and, and even amarillo there's major highways that run through them that mm-hmm. that's why they've grown so much and it's a benefit in that we'll have all kinds of people move here and i think we're seeing that now with you know the californians are really migrating to all these other cities and they're coming to texas and we're seeing that a lot here so i think that there's just a a lot of diversity that i had to really get to know people and uh, understand their issues to run for office and it it was a challenge it really was
0: when i asked you to to be on the show um you warned me that you were not long for amarillo and that (laughs) you had uh you know we're were making plans to move to austin um and, and that is different from most guests uh most guests i i talk to are pretty well planted here um and so I told you we could use this as sort of an exit interview, you know, as, as <laughs> yeah. you depart. Uh, I, I wonder if you could just kind of tell me what, what you think your future will look like over the next few years. Well, What's the goal, actually, of, of of moving from here to Austin, and, and, and why are you doing that?
1: Well, you know, I've, I've eyeballed Austin for quite a bit of time. I think it was in 2011. I lived there for a summer to do an internship for a, a consulting firm. And uh, I just really fell in love with the city. However, the the only downside is that today it seems like it's becoming more of L.A. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like... Uh, it's, it's changed a lot in the last yeah, few years. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, its charm is changing. And so I, I am worried that, you know, I go over there and it's not going to be the same one that I, I saw so many years ago. But uh, I just thought, you know, I'm going to go try it out, see how it's going to work out. And who knows, I may still... Be back in Amarillo. I feel like you know, if anything fails, or if I just am not happy somewhere, I'll end up back here. And I think that my my ultimate goal is to just have a career in uh, some startup company, and or I should say, that's the dream is a startup company that becomes very successful, and then I can be part of that. I, I think it's it comes from me just wanting to build things. I really love mm-hmm. building things from the ground up, and uh, uh, I mean that's what we even did at at the Hispanic Chamber, trying to build businesses and their clientele and i feel like all the skills that i've learned in dc and here that i can uh really do something big in austin and i mean i guess you can say an even bigger dream would be if i started my own company and it was very successful i'd move the headquarters here i always think about that and and uh, try and bring more jobs here so i, I think that i'm never going to lose that the Amarillo connection, um, and uh, or forget about it because I I still think about okay if I'm not running for office who is or you know what are their issues and how can I support them you know either financially or with um, friends volunteering or whatever it is so I think that my ultimate goal is just to become uh, something big in Austin and I guess you can say siphon funds over here or something <laughs> I don't know send funds over here and try and help my community still especially with like what's happening in the barrio with us trying to uh redo it i always think man if i had the money i would just give this much to help this or or do this project or just help with the scholarship fund or something so my mind is still here so i think that even when i leave i'm still going to be thinking about that wherever i am
0: this episode is also sponsored by skp creative a full service agency using traditional and digital marketing strategies I asked SKP what they wanted to promote for this episode, and their answer was very simple. They want you to get vaccinated. Amarillo, at one point, led the nation in vaccine distribution earlier this year, but of course that rate has stalled out, and now the Delta variant has brought increasing COVID cases in our city. The other day I heard one doctor I trust say that if you are choosing at this point not to get vaccinated, then you're pretty much making the choice to get COVID, because you will at some point. So, are you willing to roll the dice? If not, the city is still hosting regular free vaccine clinics on weekdays and some weekends. So go get vaccinated. Thanks to SKP Creative for the ongoing support of this show. Hey, Amarillo is also sponsored this week by Pestex Pest Control. Ben with Pestex sprays my house every few months and he's actually scheduled to come back this week. It's a business that I appreciate because Pestex is locally owned. They use pet-friendly products, and most importantly, they don't have a one-size-fits-all approach. They evaluate every customer's pest problem and find the best way to solve it. So summer fleas and ticks and mosquitoes will persist deep into the fall. So there's still time to get control of these pests. So to get in touch, call or text 806-433-8841 or look up texts on Facebook or Instagram. Okay, I'm back with Gus Trujillo. Gus, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes several fossils of a (laughs) shovel-tusked mastodon, which is a cousin of the elephant, and it had a shoulder height of eight feet tall, and they were discovered in Randall County, Wow, uh, which is crazy. Those are some of my favorite fossils at... uh, Panhandle planes were those shovel-tusk yeah. mastodons because they look so <laughs> weird. Uh, but you can learn more at panhandleplanes.org. Okay, eight straight, I'm going to ask you eight straight questions. Your job as my guest is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Okay. The first one, and I think this will be unique because you were running for office during 2020, but what's one thing the pandemic or the past year revealed to you about local people?
1: I think the biggest thing was that it revealed how great people were when we were in a time of distress and uh, how everybody was able to uh, you know, get together and support each other. And I know that everybody says that, but I, I was really happy to see that, especially as I was running for office, that people were really... I mean, just helping each other out, not only with uh, donations, but um, um, even people that were going through. We saw those huge lines at food bank drive-throughs, yeah. and, and a lot of people were suffering. And I mean, I, I imagine even the homeless population has increased. But I think it would have been much worse how if people didn't help each other. Um, but I, I do like to say too that it's it revealed a time where uh, everything wasn't perfect about 2020. I think that now we are really dealing with racial relations, and um, uh, despite having a lot of people that help each other, there's still a little bit of bad apples here and there, and uh, I hope that we can acknowledge those in the country so that we can resolve those issues and move forward. So, um, you know, there's some good and bad about what happened in 2020, and I think everybody is ready to let it uh, be the past, but I just hope that we can acknowledge what's wrong with certain things in our country and fix them. Cause I feel like that's what patriotism is, is to fix things in your country so that you can tout how great it is, um, later on. So, I mean, people helped each other at, at the same time. There was a little bit of bad <laughs> here and there. I'm just glad 2020 is over, yeah, you know? Exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. What does this area have too much of?
1: Uh, I think that, uh, I, I really realized all this, um, at the Hispanic chamber is that we really like to support local. And I feel like, uh, uh, you know, I, I in no way am speaking on behalf of the Hispanic Chamber, but I just saw that Amarillo has too many chain restaurants, in my opinion. Hmm. I think that, you know, it is nice that you can go to a, a, a Five Guys or, or McDonald's or whatever. It's, it's you know, it's cheap, it's fast or whatever, convenient. But uh, it really kills local business. And that goes for the big box stores, too. I mean, you know, we know what the, the big W is that that got into... Uh, these small towns and really grew and and took over everything. And uh, we have so many of Walmarts here that um, sometimes I avoid shopping there because I want to help the local guys. And I don't mind spending that extra money if it's going to help locals. So I really wish there was more local businesses here. There's a lot now, but I I think that we are becoming a a travel stop. There's just so many chain restaurants, new things coming in. And when they come in, I'm thinking, well, I wish it was – Something that was like a local culture, you know, it builds on the Amarillo culture too, instead of just becoming, oh, we're gonna stop here, get gas, eat, and then yeah, be exactly. gone. I'd I'd rather it be like a really cool tourist city.
0: And it's yeah. it's one of those things that, you know, the success of a city, the growth of a city brings in more of that, yeah. you know, the the chain activity. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so it it's a testament in part to how well Amarillo is doing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's something that we recognize isn't always great for local businesses. Yeah, uh, and, and so there's a weird relationship between all of those things. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely hard. <laughs> and, and if we could just get those travelers to to go a block or two off of I-40, you know, yeah. past the McDonald's and, and towards somewhere else, we'll,
1: yeah. we'll be in better shape.
0: <laughs> what does this area not have enough of?
1: Uh, I, I think it kind of... Uh, shares the same thing here is that i I think it needs more recreational activities i I think we need to have more things you know we do have uh canyon and lake meredith which are two great places to go but i feel like a lot of people just like me we go there you know a couple times a year and enjoy it but then the winter months come and there's kind of some things that uh, you don't really have too much to do and um i feel like we can really expand on having some kind of touristy spots you know besides dining i i know that here we have we have the most restaurants per capita. I remember going to to WT and we were learning about that. And I never realized that. I thought, you know, when I travel to other bigger cities, they don't have as many restaurants as we do Mm -hmm. because we're a smaller population. But I feel like we need more um, recreational activities. And, you know, I was a big supporter of the uh, Proposition A bond issue last year for the Civic Center because I saw that it was a really well-researched and uh, a cost-benefit analysis of that plan was pretty good. And I thought, man, that's going to be great for Amarillo because we can have a huge facility to attract big entertainment, uh, great artists and just more shows and everything. But unfortunately, it didn't pass. And right. you know, it's it's unfortunate that it happened. I feel like it was a really great plan. But I hope that uh, the Civic Center does get overhauled in the future uh, pretty soon because I feel like that can solve the recreational activity problem because you can going to have so many things come to the city. And then in turn, it'll just grow us even more. And um, I mean, I'd like us to change from a travel stop to a touristy type town have something unique and you know the big texan is a great thing too that's that's out there he has a starlight ranch is out there as well so i'm glad those are there but uh, i think that we need to build up on those and, and just have more things to do in amarillo
0: okay how do you describe amarillo to people outside the area
1: Uh well i think that when i was in dc i remember constantly people didn't know what where amarillo was they didn't even know it was in texas or anything so i would make like the The shape of my hand, like, you know, I have my index and middle finger up and um, ring finger and pinky finger down and thumb out. But uh, I was pointing out at the top where I was from and they said, oh, okay." And and I think they sometimes knew where Lubbock was, but they didn't know where we were um and then even then when i would travel abroad uh for studying and stuff it was people thought that for some reason we go to school on horses (laughs) and i tell i was like no we don't do that anymore but i i describe people uh, besides the location i describe amarillo uh, by its people and uh, i say that you know we are very uh, close-knit we like to support local business we we love our town and um, we, we just enjoy it. And so I think that Southern hospitality, a lot of people in the North and the West coast and East coast don't really know what that is, but we have a lot of it here. And, uh, even as an intern, I remember one of the first things that Congressman Thornberry told me and, uh, the other intern was always say, please, thank you. And you're welcome. He, he didn't like no problem. I remember that okay. that stuck in my head for Got a me. long time. And, uh, so I would always have to say, please, thank you. And you're welcome. And to this day, when I say "no problem," it irks me a little. Yeah,
0: bit. <laughs> you feel like you're you're yeah. disobeying. So.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it was a great lesson because we have some great southern hospitality here. What's your favorite
0: street in Amarillo? Uh, it's going to have to be Arthur Street. Okay. Uh, I
1: you know I grew up there. It, it is the beginning of the Barrio neighborhood, and I, I think I, I like it because of that. But I, I really like it because of the history, especially with my grandparents. And uh, like I mentioned before, that's the the beginning. Of uh, the barrio neighborhood and it was just it it means a lot to me and uh you know just like i mentioned a a while ago i always think that uh, wherever i move to i feel like i'm going to still contribute to the city and a big part of that will be trying to improve that neighborhood because it's it's getting old and it's it's a little bit neglected but uh, i think that we can make it a really nice area and um i mean even the murals that are around town that's a, a great way to attract people into the city as well um, including the center city and the barrio uh, neighborhood mural and so things like that i think that it's great to see the cities in a going in a good direction as well
0: what's your favorite local restaurant
1: uh this is also in the barrio i guess uh it is the uh, la frontera restaurant okay. uh, mary martinez owns that place and we're actually very close with their family. Uh, she's been uh, uh, part of ours for a long time. She's actually my sister's uh, godmother, okay. and um, she helps the neighborhood out a lot. So I, I really like La Frontera. They have really great Mexican food. I, I would consider it the best Mexican food in the city. And you can tell when you pass by the restaurant. Sometimes you know it's in the barrio where you don't ever see Bentleys or, or uh, Mercedes and all that stuff, right. and you see those at the restaurant. People oh, know the restaurant. Yeah, people yeah. know the restaurant. It's, a destination. So it's been there a long time, but yeah. and a
0: historic building too. It used to be yeah. the the yeah. grocery store there.
1: Yeah, my my mom and my uncle they would talk about how they would go to that grocery store and recycle bottles, which we don't even do that yeah. anymore here. They recycle bottles to get candy and soda money, okay? <laughs> and so they they remember it fondly, yeah.
0: What's your favorite local coffee shop?
1: Uh definitely Palace Coffee. Uh I am gosh, I just love Palace uh, and especially their new location. They have a, you know, a bar in there now and um so there is uh, some great things about Palace and I I'm really happy about how uh, patrick and crystal i don't know them personally but uh, i just i know who they are because of the great things they've done for our community and uh, having that coffee shop that's local and um something that's that's new i mean they really upped the coffee game here in amarillo and i'm glad to see it um because uh, it reminds me of the bigger cities and Mm -hmm. and uh, you know they have so many locations now that um i'm I'm going to every single one of them but my favorite one is the one on
0: summit all right (laughs) yeah and we uh, we talked about uh, tourism destinations. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch?
1: Uh, I think it was in uh, 2018. One of my friends, he he lives in Madrid, Spain, he came to Amarillo because he has family in Booker and uh, he told us says, You know, I've never been to Cadillac Ranch. And we're like, What well, you've never been out there? And gosh, I don't remember the last time I we went out there before twenty eighteen, but we went out there and it was it was a neat experience again to see it and you see all these tourists that are just parked on the access road and they're getting down to take pictures. And um, it's a unique art establishment. And, you know, like I mentioned with the murals, I hope that we can have more things like that where it's uh, just things that will attract people in the city, you know, because a lot of people do go see Cadillac Ranch, they yep. go to Big Texan. And uh, uh, I feel like if we have more artwork like that, it'll be a great addition to the city.
0: Anytime I'm out there, I, I look at the license plates yeah. just to see who's there. And it's always like, so many different states. Oh, yeah. And not nearby states always. I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah. there are New York plates and Florida plates. And yep. that's always surprising to me. I guess I shouldn't be surprised at this point. <laughs> yeah. Well, Gus, that concludes the uh, eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience? You know, I... I- Took a big
1: risk and a a big step in running for office, and uh, it was you know I was I won't lie I was afraid of doing it, and you know you are in the in the public eye, and and uh, after experiencing that and you know having a great experience with it, um, it was still tough. But I always think, what can I tell younger people, the younger generation? And you know I'm I'm 34. I I say that as if you know I'm an older guy, but uh, I really want to endorse people running for something especially if they're younger because mm-hmm. i i truly believe that um today the generations not only my generation i'm considered a millennial but uh the younger generations they're becoming a lot more aware of what's going on around them they they're getting better at um knowing what the issues are especially with things like climate change i think now it's it's crazy to think that climate change was nowhere on the radar what like 10 years ago or whenever it was and and now it's becoming a huge deal because everybody's Burning and well, it's we can see. I mean, <laughs>
0: we're recording on a day when the sky is smoky here in Amarillo because yeah. of wildfires in California.
1: So, yeah, exactly. And that's happened
0: more and more often this summer, last summer. I mean, oh, yeah. It, that's it, that's something we can see.
1: Yeah. It seems like it's it's getting worse. And I think that my hope is that uh the younger generation will run for things and it looks like it's happening around the country and I think it'll happen here. Um and, and that's one of the reasons why I decided to run for something myself. And um I really want to endorse people trying to run for something because I feel like they can be a a great voice to add to, you know, the elders that are around that have wisdom, sometimes that wisdom is very good, but also sometimes it's it's outdated. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel like young people can contribute uh, to those things to help them and uh, help people around us. And um, I, I would just add the caveat that somebody like me wants to listen to both sides to be a centrist. And I would encourage them to do that because I feel like there are still some young people that are going a little bit too, either too far left, too far right. And I think like, man, that's not gonna, it's not gonna bode well later on. It's just gonna divide us more. So I would encourage them to run for something, but please listen to both sides and come up with compromise solutions.
0: All right, Gus Trujillo, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And that concludes the episode. I wanna say thanks to Gus for the interview and wish him the best as he moves to Austin. Thanks also to Angelina Marie for editing this week's episode and almost every other episode of the show. I also want to say thanks to this week's sponsors, NCW, SKP Creative, and Pestex, as well as to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring eight straight every week. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the support I get from local people who support the show financially through patreon.com slash Hey, Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Jess Heredia, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, Griselda, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Patrick Burns, Wilson Lemieux, and Wes Reeves. This has been episode 211. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.